New ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Ethan Song. Ethan is the founder and CEO of Rare Circles. It's a new company in the experiential loyalty space. Listeners may know him better as the co-founder and CEO of Frank and Oak, the leading apparel brand focused on sustainability and climate change that won technology Fast 50 and Fast Company's most innovative company in retail. Ethan is a thought leader, an active angel investor, and our conversation today will focus on the power of community. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great. Thanks for having me. So the the brass ring for marketers is fandoms and engagement. Everybody talks about engagement, engagement, engagement. And one of the things that you've been quoted in one of your interviews is saying that the most important thing is engagement with a small group of fans. And by small, you floated a thousand or even a hundred as being a meaningful number. Can you talk about what that core fandom needs to be, what that engagement is, and then how how it expands from that starting place. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's this concept of community-led growth. That's It's a bit of a buzzword, but I think what it speaks to is effectively building a community and then leveraging that community to grow your business. And so right. not just you know growing a community for, for the purpose of growing a community, but with the idea of building a business around that community. And I, and I would say the reason why I think the numbers can be much smaller is because the engagement rate you're going to get within that community should be theoretically much higher if it's built in an authentic and organic way. What, what we, I think, tend to have, especially marketers or, or even like e-commerce mm-hmm. brands, we kind of get attached to like big numbers, you know, 100,000, a million followers. But when you actually oh, right. break down right. the engagement rate and you break down the actual, you know, let, think about an email list. That, that's a very clear example. Let's say you have 100,000 emails. But the open rate is somewhere around 10 or 15%. And of those people that do open, you only have like a 2 to 5% click-through rate. The right. number of people that actually truly engage with that email is still around 1,000. And so what I realize is that fostering that inner core of your community, whether it's 100 or 1,000 or 10,000, the number itself doesn't matter. But understanding that building real relationships matters and has a big impact on your business. So would you say though, because I think you're right. Marketers are always like, grow, scale, grow, scale. Everybody's kind of on this dog track, chasing that rabbit, that growth, right? Is authentic growth and organic growth, you feel they are more likely to go hand in hand. That if it's organic, it's more likely authentic and that will land better, especially with younger audiences who are really on the lookout for fakery. Yeah. What we've seen in the last 10 years is the fact that Google and Facebook have trained us as marketers and brand builders to think in terms of very large numbers and they give you that feedback loop in terms of your numbers. And so you feel the confidence of investing more in marketing, especially using paid acquisition. Mm-hmm. What I've mm-hmm. seen having built a brand myself and having like advise and work with a lot of brands is that typically those numbers are not sustainable anyways. And so when you oh. inject more capital, you do get a boost in terms of traffic to your site. You do get a boost in terms of customer acquisition 
a lot of times those customers don't stay with you. Now, oh, that's interesting. So this is, I mean, it's interesting because you do, you did build, you know, Frank and Oak. So this is, you're basing this on personal anecdotal experience as well as people who you've advised. I just Exactly. Yeah. Okay. You know, at Frank and Oak, we built like a hundred million dollar plus business and we had like over 3 million people on our mailing list. So like I can, I can tell you firsthand that we've gone through this process where, you know, we kept on increasing our budget month after month. We were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in paid acquisition. And what I realized is that the other way of doing it was effectively, you know, engaging a community, building more authentic relationships, being more patient, because what happens is with advocacy and people sharing word of mouth, it just takes more time. And therefore, you know, as a marketer under the pressure of growing your business, you're going to say, you know what, I want to do more paid ads. I want to send more emails. But the reality is if you look forward in like 24 months, you actually get further by building those authentic community relationships versus spending and paid ads, even though it seemed at first it took longer. But what's better with this second approach is that, well, you just saved a million bucks. You know, well, so, right. so it's a more was. profitable approach. <laughs> well, but then what does that look like on the ground? that building of community? What does that, what does that look like? And if your business helps build sort of, is it, a, are you still doing a sort of membership solutions for communities? Is, is it, is it around a membership concept as opposed to a subscription, which is almost like very transactional? Is it more of a community? Is that what you're helping people to understand? I think, I think what we're going towards, and, and I can, I can speak obviously to our solution, but I think what we're going towards is the fact that social media it's still a great discovery and distribution platform, right? It's where you discover new content. TikTok, obviously, is still growing tremendously fast mm. uh, despite their challenges. But we're seeing more and more brands want to create their own owned communities as well. And, well, sure, because the then you understand them, <laughs> right? Well, one, one uh, you get access to the data, but two, it's a community that you can actually effectively manage and control. Whereas what, what we've seen is that, you know, let's say you create a Facebook group or even on Instagram, effectively Facebook controls that relationship, right? Can you and go so, into that just a little bit? So that it, what do you mean by that? Facebook effectively controls that group. How is that? How do they control it? Well, because the, the, what happens is that, you know, I think obviously a lot of people are focused on building, you know, followers on Instagram, or they'll have, you know, a Facebook group with thousands of people where they're managing their communities, but the reality is Facebook's business model is the model of advertising. And so effectively, what they want to do is give you access to these tools for free, but then you have to advertise to continue keeping the momentum in terms of engagement. I now see. that that actually has worked quite well, you know, in the last 10 years. And, and like, when I say this, there's nothing that I'm saying has that's against Facebook, but what's happening is because of the level of competition, because their main revenue channel is advertising. It means that once you create that group as a brand or a marketer, you're effectively in this loop where you just always have to pay more for rent, right? If uh, you want visibility, you have to pay more. So it's almost like being in a shopping center. And if you want your fans to see your store and not someone else's store, you got to pay higher rent. And that's a bit of a vicious cycle that you get into. Now, the second piece to that is with the new privacy laws, with Apple's stance on privacy, which I actually think that is something that customers want. So I yeah. don't think there's anything wrong with that. But what it does do is that it's even harder for marketers because now you have access to less data, less targeting. And so effectively, that kind of customer acquisition and customer engagement is becoming less and less profitable. That's and fascinating. so right. what we're seeing is now a lot of brands are going to create a secondary layer, which is their own, their own community, 
which may be smaller than their, let's call it social media community, but where the super fans or the people that are more engaged with your brands are going to transfer to. And at that point in time, what's really interesting is one, you can basically have different ways to be engaging them, like through, let's say, you know, a forum structure or through mm. voting and polling or through exclusive content, you get access to first party data. So you get to learn more about your customers, but they expect something from you as well, right? So it's, there's always a relationship. So that's where you can incentivize them, whether through special access to product or invites to experiences or, you know, you know, talking about Web3 in this case, one of the ways that I think Web3 has a future is creating incentives, whether through, you know, giving away NFTs or rewards and badges to fans that are effectively engaging more with your brand. And so going back to that, I think what most brands are going to have is a public social media presence where they're building their following, and they're going to have more of a private social media own community. I mean, where they're going to be effectively providing value to their community and also leveraging their community for growing to grow their business. So I think we're going to see this sort of dual structure. Do you think it's so you would use, I mean, again, we talk about discovery happening on social media that people find out about things there. So you would still see a, a place where this might be the first touch point, the top of the funnel for your super fan, unless they, unless they have a direct referral from a network of a friend or something, but then, then you port them out of that. You tell them about your, you know, go to our website see our thing. So you get them out of that social media place and into this other place. Is that the sort of thought process? I think, I think that's one of the channel through which you can get members. I, I would say that you can also get them organically through your own website. You know, let's say you have a Shopify store or you have like a marketing website. You can also get them through that. So I think I definitely see it as an omni-channel approach, but I think okay. social media is still a good place to get. But think about this way, like obviously right now, it's very timely because there's a lot of discussions around TikTok and that should it be allowed in the US. Right. right? So it can go away. You, and then what happens if that's if your you way? as a brand, because TikTok was the next big thing, you just invested two years of your, your team's time and money into building your TikTok following and it goes away. Yeah. Well, wouldn't you want to keep some of that, right? Some of that, that community that you built. And so I think that's why the own community plays a big role. Right. I, I just think that the own community, you have social media feeding into that. You have your website feeding into that. You have organic traffic feeding into that. Even your email list feeding that. Because if you think about it, and, and obviously I'm, I come from the branded world, so I speak a lot about brands. But if you think about a brand's presence today, almost everyone's on Shopify. Almost everyone has the same e-commerce experience. Right. So how you're not really, you're, you you're not going to differentiate. So you're not going to differentiate through your shopping experience. Right. You can't basically. Right. And, and then what happens is like, you know, having, having built a lot of e-commerce sites, when you try to differentiate through your shopping experience, your conversion actually drops. Right. Because people are like, I know what I want and I want it to operate the same way because I'm lazy and I wanted to, I wanted my mental load to be frictionless. Exactly. <laughs> it's like a car, right? You, you want every car to be driven the same way. So I think when people go and buy, they expect mm. a similar, you know, checkout experience. And that's why, you know, no doubt that optimizing your conversion flow and all that stuff on, on your e-commerce site matter, but it's mm. it's pretty standard now. You know, once you've done that, right? There right. Isn't this much is this is the expected bar. This is the expected bar. And then, how do you differentiate that? Well, do you think, you know, because prior to our conversation going live for the interview, we we briefly touched on the changing world of NFTs in terms of people loved them, people less like them. You know, do you see Web three as something which it may have a bumpy start? but it's happening 
people will be there. And this is another component part that's important. Do you, are you still bullish on where it's headed? I, I think there's a misunderstanding in terms of Web3 is, I think Web3 speaks more into the technology. Okay. And, and in this case, like digital ownership. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm definitely bullish on digital ownership, you know, in the long run. Right. Now, I think where people got confused a little bit is they think of like NFTs as being Web3. And, and I think NFTs are one representation of what it is. But the unfortunate thing that's happened right. is that because these are assets that can be traded, well, I think a lot of the focus has been on like, how much is it worth, right? And am I making money? Well, and that's one of the things that's one of the things I was going to talk to you about. And this might be an interesting place to put this question was some people think of NFTs precisely as you just described them as an asset which you hold and trade because it has value as this asset. And other people see the asset, the, the NFT as having value because it can be a way to deepen this relationship. It can be a way that you can give people special access to something. You can have your sneakers in real life, but you can have them in the metaverse as well. And you can maybe go to special events that you couldn't, and the NFT will allow you access to these things. And I was wondering where you felt the value of an NFT comes from. And if you're taking a long view, where do you see the the primary, the good, the durable value coming from? Look, I mean, I think I think when we talk about new technologies and and, and it's you know same thing now. Obviously, a lot of everyone's talking about AI and, and mm. like you know does AI play a role in marketing or 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 growth? And and obviously it does, but it, it's often a technology looking for a problem. And oh, as opposed to you don't you don't think oh okay you don't think it was something that that people were you know the problem people are looking to solve a problem. You think this they came up with something and they're like what can it do? Is the, well, like, well, let me let me get back to that. I don't necessarily think it's a that's an issue per se. Okay. Uh, and, and the reason why I'm, but I'm saying we're in the early phase of that. So like the technology comes out and, you know, people are looking for problems that you can solve with that technology. It's almost like you got to stick now and where are you going to hit? Right. And so, okay. but I think that was the same way when the internet came out. And, and so I think going back to what you said, what we are focused on is this idea of own community and then effectively incentivizing and rewarding your community to engage with your brand. That, that is right. what we're working on. And so when we talk about Web3, I can't tell you what everyone is going to do in the context of Web3, but what we realize is that there is definitely a scenario where tokens or rewards uh, or digital badges could be a strong incentives for community engagement. And right. so okay. And so that's why I think it's hard for me to answer questions as it relates to the broader space, but I think within the context, exactly what you said, which is is this something that can be part of mechanics that help the community to engage and be rewarded? I think that's something that's really interesting. And I, I do think that there's a future there for Web3. But I also think that there's a lot of things that need to be worked on before that future can arrive. Right. Well, okay. The other question I have for you is one of the reasons why people kind of they, they love and hate social media stuff is because you can have one person who writes a b- whole bunch of posts and they're scheduled and they're just, you know, then machine gunned out <laughs> on the schedule. But if you have a community that you're interacting with, you actually need somebody to interact with that community. And, and obviously better social media has somebody who's paying attention and responding to people. What kind of manpower does it take to have a community build this way? I mean, is it, that seems expensive. Well, I mean, it's all relative. I mean, I think, Mm -hmm. is it expensive compared to $100,000 that people are giving to Facebook? I would say it's pretty cheap compared to that. 
but but that said, you know, I give an example like SMS marketing is very expensive, and so mm-hmm. I don't think that you know I think there's a lot of things that market are expensive. So that's the first thing I would say. The second piece I would say is absolutely I, I do think that you know as you think about this form of marketing, I actually think your social media manager or your community manager could be repurposed. But I, I do think that like what we're doing, which I think is unique, is creating turning social and community engagement to something that feels more like a campaign, meaning like something that you can manage pre-program and automate. I was wondering, I was wondering about that because that's the other piece around things being successful. You know, is it, you know, people, marketers like to have a campaign they've developed and they release into the world, but a community feels ongoing and you're saying you can actually do community building, but in terms of work and planning, you can plan it like a campaign. Exactly. So, so I think you can basically productize some of those community activities. And the other thing I think you can also do is you can also create more control over with, over how you want your community to act. So I think that's why like, if you go on like social media, what's very difficult is you don't choose the features that are made available, right? Facebook does that for you. Whereas when you have your own own community, you actually have to, you can actually customize the experience that you want for your community. And so I think when people think about communities, they always think about like a live chat room or like a feed. It doesn't have to be like that, right? Like a, a voting mechanic on you know, upcoming products or upcoming events is community engagement, but it doesn't require that kind of a multi-engagement. Now, right. th- I'm not saying that you don't need someone to manage it, but I, what, what I'm saying is that there is a way to also make that more efficient. Um, but right. the reason why I started the conversation by not saying like, I'm not going to come out and say it's cheap or like you should like, because like, Cheap marketing sucks. You know, like if, if it's something that like doesn't right. take any time. It shows. Uh, it shows. It shows. Exactly. And if you're just copy and pasting something you found online, your customer is not stupid. They've seen so much marketing today that they will see that as not being authentic. And so absolutely, you're going to need a community manager. Absolutely. You're going to have to think about what kind of experience you want to create. What are the community policies you want to, you know, build. But my my main message, hopefully it comes out, is that the rewards of that are 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 much higher than spending the equal amount of time, you know, on like paid ads as an example. But right. from a tooling perspective, we are we are aiming to make it easier. We're aiming to give you better feedback loops in terms of doing that. But every company, every brand needs to differentiate. And to differentiate, you need to think different. Well, I suppose then a question I have for you is because you've been in the space, what are some things that you know, as you looked into it, you were a little surprised. I mean, in terms of, gee, that's actually, people really love that. People really get engaged with that. I didn't anticipate that. Was there, were there surprises? I mean, I think the, the one, the surprise that, I guess it's not surprising, but it, when you actually look at the numbers, it's always something that's really interesting is this idea of like power users. Mm. And often it's hard for a brand to know who their power users are because like if you're selling, as an example, carpets, okay? Okay. Well, your power user is not going to buy a thousand carpets. Right. And so it's different than like with, within like a, like a, let's say a video game setting or a social media setting where the power user can demonstrate that they're a power user and, and by just being a lot more actively involved. And so by just looking at your sales, you're not really going to know who are the true brand loyalists or advocates. And uh, it's only by looking at engagement data, you get that. And so once you give them more things that they can do, you realize that you really have this sort of like power curve of like, who is 
your best you know advocate and and the reason why like I, I started this conversation talking about community like growth is that there's community management which is literally just the health of your community hmm. but there's a second piece which is if your goal is to leverage your community to grow well those people that are highly engaged are willing to do things for your brand and talk about your brands become very important and those may not always be the ones that spend the most money with you and so the traditional way of like looking at cohorts, looking at purchases is not the best way to recognize those fo- those folks. And so having the oh. tools to do that is, is extremely powerful. Well, that's interesting. So it isn't necessarily the big spender who can be your brand evangelist, right? But then- Not always, no. Not always, right. Okay. So you have a community. How, how, what are something, what would you say, how do you start sniffing out those brand evangelists? Then what are behaviors that say, I'm a brand evangelist, my hand is raised that aren't through purchase? What are some of the signals that you get? Yeah, I mean, I would say engagement is probably the easiest way to look at it. And so like, who's who's taking the time to basically, you know, engage in the community forums, who's taking time to like write proposals to the brand, who's taking the time to like comment on posts and, you know, engage with others and discussions. I think that the, the interesting part that, that happens when you, you know, focus on community growth is that all of a sudden, as a brand, you've always had this strategy of like one to many. When I send an email, I send an email and many people read it, but there's no feedback loop on that. Whereas now, not only are you going to many to many relationships, which means that your fan advocates are speaking to other you know, members of your community. But second of all, is that you also have a feedback loop around that because people will let you know. And so it, it I know what you're going to say as I go into this, you're like, okay, like our brand's ready for that. And, and I would say, the best brands are already all doing it. And what's interesting is that, you know, now that, you know, we're, we're creating tools, we're giving it a name, we're, we're mm. seeing that. But if you look at, you know, companies, you know, there are certain sectors where that has happened a lot, whether it's Glossier or Gymshark or Lululemon, mm. all those companies have grown significantly by leveraging their communities. And a lot of the tactics I'm talking about are, are tactics that they've been doing for the last 10 years. I think the main difference today is we're productizing them and we're giving it a name. So then when you partner with people, do you do some of that labor or are you more of a consultant advising them? Or is or do you provide a platform? Where What piece of it, where do you come into the conversation? Yeah, we provide them the platform on which they can build their own community and they can also get the access to engagement tools like proposals, polls, and things like that. And then uh, and obviously the most important piece is getting feedback in terms of data. So that's what we provide. And then we also provide some services to help them get set up. You know, especially I think a lot of people, they, they don't know how to get started. And once they get yeah. started, it becomes more natural to them. But I would say I haven't found it too difficult. Uh, and the reason why is because for most builders, like community management is actually more intuitive than like paid ads. Okay. With paid ads, often, you know, people hire like external agencies because they don't have that analytical mindset, right? If you're selling kombucha or if you start a fashion brand or you're, you're running a CPG company, that doesn't mean that like you're, you know, a, an analyst or like a Facebook ads analyst. And so, right. whereas typically... Oh, you understand like, your community because you're into kombucha. You understand what jazzes people exactly. are into kombucha. So, and so it's more intuitive how to engage with them. Exactly. It's funny because I, when I pitch this idea to a lot of entrepreneurs, they actually say, isn't this always how it was done? Huh, and, and, it should be. <laughs> and it should be, right? If you think about before the internet and like, let's say Burt's Bees, you know, they started at like oh. an organic you know, market selling on the street and they build their community like that little by little. And so I actually well, it's think it's, in some ways it's yeah. a return to what it was before social media, right? I think it's a return to that. But I think the main difference is the fact that now your community doesn't have to be local. It could be global. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so the scale of wit and the scalability of that is a lot bigger. And so I think the opportunity is bigger. You know, another point I could add is the fact that obviously with COVID and what we've seen the last few years, mm. competition is a real problem for almost everyone, right? Like yeah. whatever you do, someone's going to do it. There's and, so many, so many of everything. It, and so many you- of everything. Everything is a commodity. Every kind of like strategy becomes a commodity. Mm. And I think that the the relationship you have with your community and the relationship that members of your community have with each other is is and can be a true differentiator going forward because though that involves humans you can't just like replicate that yes that's true and you know it it resonates around the whole idea of user generated content and also product reviews and the power and benefit of a negative product review like what you can do with a negative and how you, you know, somebody who cares enough to, to write something, you know, they're somebody. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's definitely like a change in mindset. I, I tend, I tend to agree with you that like, we all know, right. As consumers that there's no way that a brand only has positive reviews. It's just yeah, not it's possible. Impossible. Yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible. So if you see a brand that has no negative reviews, you have to ask yourself, are they're probably curating it, which means they're not transparent as a brand. And, and so I think the, the, the internet has made it that there's a lot more open dialogue between mm. brands. And I think you know, even the creator economy has shown that like having an honest conversation, having someone behind the brand does matter to consumers. And so I, I do think that, you know, this is much harder for large enterprise brands to take that risk of being open. But right. I think that the next generation of like startups and like smaller brands, they're going to be more transparent. And absolutely the, the way that, but they, the can't way that not, brand, but they can't not do it either. They cannot they, not do it. it. Be, and the it way that you, yeah. expectation, right. I think it's expectation and the way that you deal with a, a bad experience speaks more, you know, about how you are and your values as a brand than only the good experiences. This is true. Right. Exactly. And, and it's interesting too, there are some products, your, your point about the carpet company, there are some products where people don't buy repeats or they don't buy repeats swiftly. So how, how does that work? How do you build community with that? Like with the carpet company or with a large appliances, you know, let's say I sell refrigerators and <laughs> you, hopefully you aren't buying one very frequently if you buy mine. So how then, but you do want people to, to talk about you because that's yeah. because they're going to tell their friend about the next one. So look, the re- the reality is that, you know, there's definitely sectors where there's an easy, natural fit. Right? And mm-hmm. so what we found is that, you know, in the, in the food space, there's a natural fit because people love to talk about food. You know, you can do recipes, you can do videos. There's a lot of things that are naturally built. Same thing with, that's why we always talk about like athletic brands, like Nike right. or Lululemon as being great at like events and experiential marketing is because there's a natural fit. Same mm. thing with beauty brands uh, where like beauty tips or like sharing things are, are very much part of that or like moms and baby brands as well. So mm. there's definitely a lot, a lot of sectors where there's a natural fit, but I actually believe that if you're in a sector, like let's say construction, you know, where, where there isn't that kind of culture that actually can be even more of a differentiator for your brand. And, right. Right. I could, but see often, that. but often I think what the, the marketers, you just have to go like a few levels deeper, right? So don't, don't focus on what you're selling necessarily focus on like what brings these people together. And, and one way of figuring that out, if you don't know is go on YouTube, go on Reddit, see what people are already doing. See, see people that are into construction, what kind of videos people are creating or what kind of discussions are happening on Reddit. And that can give you ideas on how you can start your own community and include some of those. Fascinating. That's great. Well, this has been really interesting. Thank you so much for spending the time with me. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, thanks for the invite. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our opening. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.